I hope you are ready for bookish goodness, because that's exactly what we have in this episode. We'll talk to an author with an incredible personal story, including substance abuse and human trafficking, and how that led to awareness and writing. Right after this. We're a bookish Texas podcast. We try to keep it fun. So everyone who listens will stay until we're done. We'll talk about some Texas books and Texas authors too. And along the way, we hope to bring some bookish joy to you. Marty McGibbon has overcome more adversity in her lifetime than most folks would in several lifetimes. She is an inspirational speaker, stand-up comic, and certified addiction treatment professional, as well as author of two critically acclaimed memoirs, Never Give In to Fear, Laughing All the Way Up from Rock Bottom, and Fierce, Funny, and Female. She advocates for victims and survivors. She has spoken at the White House, the State Department, the Department of Health and Human Services, and the Office for Victims of Crime. Marty is the founder, producer, and MC of Laughaholic Stand-Up Comedy Benefit for Recovery, an annual charity fundraiser in Indianapolis. Her full bio is included in the show notes, as well as her photo and book covers of her memoirs. I could read for days listing Marty's accomplishments, but I think her story is best told by her, and she's with us today. Marty, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mike, and thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And we are so happy that you're here. And just to <laughs> give you know viewers a little history of where you're coming from, you know, because your memoirs, they, they sound like they have more action and drama than a suspense novel. Can you briefly, <laughs> you know, tell us your story? Yes, sir. So the, the adversity that I have experienced uh, in my life, I had, uh, I'm a survivor of sexual assault and abuse uh, in adolescence. Um, and it was by authority figures, not, not my family, but by uh, a teacher and a uh, a cop and some, you know, there was a mental health situation um, where I was sexually assaulted. So they were the, the kind of things that, that are really um, difficult for a young person to handle. It was at 15, 15, uh, 16 and 17 years old that these things uh, happened to me and multiple, you know, traumas. And then, um, but I made it to adulthood. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I, one of the things I did that was really empowering is I was I, I became one of the first women to work as a laborer in the Texas oil field. I think, I think that's so and, cool. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and uh, uh, it, it was very empowering. One of one of the jobs was setting off explosives um, on on an exploration crew. And you know, remember, I uh, I had that trauma history, and I, I had, had a little bit of a drinking problem. I didn't realize it at the time, and that's not a real good scenario for somebody to be able. But you know, nobody ever got hurt. Yeah, that's a good thing. You, <laughs> you still know, got all your fingers. Had, yes, very professional. Yeah, so I, I did that work, and then I also worked for a civil engineering firm, staking oil wells. So I got a chance to. Uh, you know, when you stake oil wells for these um, billionaires, you know, they're wildcatters and billionaires, it was really interesting education for me because I learned a lot about the world. You, you see the very rich people uh, when they're working and down to earth and you see people struggling. You know, I myself was struggling at the time. I was living in my car when I got the first job. Wow. Uh, so anyway, I, I had all this going out. It was very empowering for me. It was about 
five years of just really uh, strong um, experiences, and that was in Texas. And uh, so Texas was really good to me. Um, and that's in one of my memoirs. That's Fierce My Name Female talking about that. I also became a stand-up comic when I was in uh, Texas because the bottom dropped out of the oil business. <laughs> and I just sort of, uh, I, you know, wandered into stand-up comedy and I started learning how to do that. And, um, and I got paid for it and, and became a professional comedian and then moved out to California to pursue my dream. Got a Tonight Show scheduled. And then, wow. uh, yeah, it was great. I thought, hey, I'm on top of the world. And then I met a handsome sociopath. And that's the quickest way to say it. Uh, and oh uh, there began, yes, and, and then intimate partner violence. Uh, this was uh, really, you know, in spite of the fact that I felt extremely powerful and strong as a person, I, uh, you know, I, w- I was vulnerable to being programmed uh, by him. Uh, and, you know, I found out later, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate for victims. This is something that can happen to anyone, anyone. It, it, it's, it's uh, at all levels, socioeconomic, uh, you know, just, you know, I'm going really quickly here. Um, this can happen to anyone. And, um, and it happened to me. And I was trying to escape that relationship. So I could, I felt like if I could just get away from this guy, raise some money and move to LA, uh, do my stand up. I was in San Francisco at the time do my tonight show. Uh, everything's going to be great. I'll, I'll just do that. And of course that was, my thinking was kind of skewed because I was using, uh, some recreational drugs at the time. And you know, that there were some mental health things probably because of that, you know, substance use. Wow, good grief. But, uh, yes, but I had, well, it, it happens to all of us. You know, we, we've got, we've got an epidemic of that kind of thing in this country right mm-hmm, now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yes. And, and it's because, you know, we, we're human beings and we look for ways to people don't, really seek drugs they seek relief anyway um but uh i had another uh run-in with uh it was a woman who was uh, a criminal a gangster uh and um she defrauded me uh she trafficked me uh human trafficking and um there was you know there was uh there was fraud uh coercion and force involved in what happened to me um, I was trafficked to uh, uh, another country very far away, uh, Japan, wow. and it was organized crime. And um, I was trying to get away from this guy, you know, and I thought, well, you know, uh, but, but anyway, so that's in my second book, Never Give In to Fear, tells about that. And it was just horrific. It was torture uh, and <laughs> just, you know, rape every hour and, you know, just, just terrible, terrible uh human suffering and um, human suffering on my part. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't get a chance to make anybody else suffer, although I may have wanted to at the time. I'll bet. Um, yeah. Uh, but when I escaped from that, I was able to get back to the U S and that's a very interesting story. Uh, uh, actually, it's, it's a wonderful story of survival. But when I returned, I was uh, inundated with trauma and unable to function. And, um, I did what a lot of trauma victims do. I went back to what was familiar, even though my familiar was horrible. I went back to that crazy boyfriend and I tried to use drugs to handle the trauma. And uh, he uh, beat me almost to death. And after going to the emergency room, uh, you know, I, um, anyway, uh, I ran away from him and um, 
I was uh, homeless out in the in a rural area uh, north of San Francisco. Needless to say, I didn't make it to my Tonight Show. You know, I had to let go of my Tonight Show. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I was out there homeless for for some time, and and uh, I worked labor jobs. I never panhandled. I, w- I would go and work uh, chopping firewood or or digging ditches. You know, just really odd jobs. You know, there had been a flood. I did flood cleanup. You know, things like that. And uh, but I was I was trying to use. Um, Drugs. I tried to use meth, you know, to uh, to try to stay awake and stay warm. You, know, you walk around all night, you won't get arrested, and you won't uh-huh. taste it, and so on and so on. Uh, so that was all going on. And then this boyfriend followed me up there and was assaulting me. So in the middle of all this hell, uh, there was a night where I was uh, hitchhiking from one little rural town to another to go to my abandoned house that I had uh, was sleeping in, uh, and and. Um, and uh, this car came down the road, and this guy picked me up, and he he was really sweet, and he was good looking. It was a guy that I just thought, uh, this is a guy, you know, I, um, we had things in common, and I just didn't want the ride to end because, you know, it, it was the first time someone had treated me like a human being in quite a while, you know, like in, in a few yeah. years, you know. And, and I sort of started thinking, no, this is a man that I could – that I could date, you know, if it were better times. And then there was this self-loathing part of me that was like, woman, you're, you're just trash. You're homeless and you're, and you have no right to think that way. Well, I got to tell you this. I want all your listeners to know this, that we all have that self-loathing part of us and it's always wrong. Just, just make a note as you hear me say this now, you know, the self-loathing part is always wrong. And and it was with me too. Yeah. And, um, uh, so anyway, this guy, we're driving down the road, that guy and I, not only did we go dancing, Mike, but he's my husband today. And, um, we've been together for 33 years. Wow. That's amazing. And he's the love of my life. Yeah. And I met the love of my life at rock bottom. And, um, it's, it's like a Cinderella story. People tell me, uh, except he was also, he was in the drug scene, um, and uh, so it was a, like a Cinderella story as told by Quentin Tarantino. But we uh, we came out of that life uh, and overcame it. And um, and we have partnered together in doing things like the Laughaholic show and and other things, um, you know, and uh, and I've written these two books. Well, wow, that is an amazing story. And I would imagine that if the love of your life wasn't into the drug scene <laughs> like he was, maybe you wouldn't have connected as well as you did. Maybe that's the only way God have. could get you together. Well, that could be too. You know, that's a, that's a very good thought. A lot of times a miracle will appear in your life and it looks like freaky and weird. And, you know, I'll say if not for you, uh, honey, I, I might not be alive, you know, today. And then he'll say stuff like, uh, I'm so, you know, he's like, "Uh, I hate that you suffered the things you suffered, but if you hadn't, we wouldn't have met it that night, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. True. Yeah. Yeah. And then that way you can say, well, I don't need to escape the past. I can embrace the past because I can realize that the things that I have overcome, I'm not who I am today in spite of what I've overcome. I am who I am today because of what I've overcome. Very well said. And I like who I am. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it all goes in together. I can say, 
yeah, and then I can say thank you, God. You know, thank you for for all of this, and wow. I accept it. And and I can say, and of course, with trauma, um, active trauma, you're not able to do that. But when I was able to, you know, act, to seek healing, really seek healing, which I did, and I want to say I recommend that uh, professional mental health uh, care it is is. It's so important, and and it, it can make all the difference in someone's life, and and we need to make uh, mental health, good mental health care, accessible to everyone, for uh, and no matter what the you know, yeah, it should be affordable, accessible. You know, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And actually, at the end of this episode, I'll try and include some uh, eight hundred numbers. You know, for any. Uh, any listeners that want to find out more information about mental health? Brilliant. Brilliant. That, that's wonderful. Thank you. That's the beauty of, um, of books and writing and all the stuff that this podcast focuses on, you know, um, is that uh, once you enter the realm of writing, even, even in uh, nonfiction, you know, fiction or nonfiction, uh, you're no longer really governed by time or space. You know, you, you, when you tell a story, you have all kinds of things at your disposal. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm glad so, you brought that back so around to, to your memoirs. Because you, you know, I, I wanted spirit. to ask you, as you <laughs> yeah. were writing these things, you know, who are you trying to reach? You know, who's your intended audience, and you know, why is it important for you to reach them? Well, uh, when I wrote this, I. I began, I wanted to, um, when I wrote the first one, Never Give In to Fear, that was a, a story of, a, uh, you know, just uh, trauma and addiction. And and I wanted to write it for people who may have had addiction might and may be in recovery, uh, or people who might be actively, like, using drugs or actively drinking too uh-huh. much, who might you know, read the book and be reading for the story because the story is captivating and it's, and I wrote it in a way that my goal was never to be boring. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it's not, you know, anyway, but I wanted it to be where somebody, even if they were actively using might read my story as a cautionary tale, a darkly funny cautionary tale and say, wow, you know, maybe maybe I better slow down on the drinking or or whatever it is, you Uh know, because uh just to find out that this is how far something can go uh, and then know that that recovery is there, even if you, like I was, I I was one of the seemingly hopeless cases, but yet I did recover. And, and um, so, so I wanted it that way. And then I wanted it for families and friends of people who may have died from this disease uh, of addiction and, uh, or may have survived, you know, but for to help people who do not have, um, the addiction, but love someone, care about right. someone who does. Right. And, and so that was the goal of the first book. Um, and then, uh, and then this, and, and of course for anybody that had experienced, uh, human trafficking as well. But I, I just mainly wanted to focus on addiction and some of the things that happen. And then for the second book, um, Fierce Money and Female, my audience there was just, um, I was focusing on, um, again, trauma and, uh, uh, and, uh, and empowerment, right? Uh, and, and, uh, I wanted to write it for, uh, for, um, people who, for anybody that's ever been down, 
And I think I put that <laughs> in the beginning of the book. <laughs> uh-huh. This book is for anybody that's ever been down and out, ever been knocked down, you know, put down. That's you a know, big audience. This book is for you. Yeah, because yeah. we come back. You know, humans are remarkably resilient. Sounds like your books should be required reading at some of those recovery clinics. (laughs) Well, they've been read by a lot of people. Um, So uh, never give in to fear. And even though your books do cover some very serious material, I think Mm -hmm. you you tell it in a way as to include some humor in it. So it's not quite as drastic. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and I uh, I think um, that's something also that's a human uh, a trait that we all have is uh, the ability to to find humor yeah. when things are very difficult. And it would not have been had I not had the humor in my book, it would have been impossible uh, for me to tell the story. Um, I wouldn't have been able to. I wouldn't want to inflict. Uh-huh. Uh, a bunch of sorrow on somebody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like when you're a stand-up comedian and you understand that you're interacting with your audience. You're yeah. making an emotional connection. Your book is going to make an emotional connection. Uh, as a as a writer, you're gonna, you're going to make a, an emotional connection with your reader. See, I'm, I'm so and glad yeah. you said that because that is really a wonderful segue into my next question. My next question is, has writing helped, and and two-part question, has writing helped at all to get you through the darkness of those years, and was it hard to be honest with yourself and really tell it like it was? Ooh, those are really good questions. The first one I want to say, uh, I had already uh, found a way to get through the darkness of all that stuff in my life uh, before I wrote these books. So that's my advice to anybody that's writing, that's considering writing a memoir. Um, in a memoir, writing, this is this me talking, writing, writing is not catharsis and it's not therapy. So do your therapy and get your catharsis first. Get it you know, really do, I mean, I went to a professional therapist for, for trauma. It turned out I had PTSD. Um, I had nightmares for 20 years after what happened to me in Japan. Uh, right? I understand and, that. And, yeah, yeah. And, 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 but when I went in to professional uh, therapy, um, I began to work on that. And I learned about uh, a lot of tools that would help me with mental health. But I had that stuff worked out before I started the writing. See what I mean? Uh And so I already knew uh, I'd already come through the darkness and I'd already uh, into the light and I had the light within me, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, before I began to write about the dark. See what I'm saying? Uh The second question you asked was, uh, was it hard to face yourself? No, I, I, I have to say I had done a lot of that real hard uh, looking at myself. Uh, you know, I had done a lot of that already preliminarily uh-huh. before I started. I don't know if that's even a word preliminarily. It should be. <laughs> yeah, it should be. <laughs> um, 
I had uh, I I studied uh, creative writing and I, I majored in English and and communication for a while. But the difficult thing, and 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 again, your your questions are, are really good. There was a difficulty with, even though I accepted myself, I was writing about things that carry a lot of stigma. So my life, you know, the things that happened to me, there's a lot of stigma around those, those things like being, yeah, there is, um, actually. yeah, yeah. Domestic violence, human trafficking, uh, the childhood sexual abuse, uh, uh, addiction. Yeah. So that was, was hard when I was writing the, the book to think, okay, that there's, I didn't think of it as stigma. I remember as when I was writing, I didn't think, Hey, wait, this is stigma. And I, I, people are going to, you know, but I would have from time to time in the back of my mind, there's just be this fear. Like, Oh my gosh, people are going to say she was a crazy drug addict. She's uh-huh. insane. She's yeah, lying. They're never going to believe it. Yeah. I had have these this kind of things come up uh, or they'll, they'll say, you know, because I was trafficked, you know, that's uh, sex trafficking. So uh, they'll, they're going to say she's a dirty whore, you know, yeah. whatever was the most terrible fear, you know, <laughs> come up. in writing a memoir or any type of autobiography, I would imagine that you would have to, develop some type of thick skin in order yeah, to uh, yeah. to deal with all of those negative comments and that they're going to be out there. I mean, there are haters everywhere. But you know what, when it, when it happened, you know, I really, uh, um, with my book uh, on Amazon, the customer reviews, right. There'll be uh, a lot of five-star reviews. I mean, mostly five-star and four-star reviews, but there are the one and two-star reviews. And they're always somebody that just, uh, they don't ever criticize the writing or the book or the storytelling or anything like that. They always just say, this person was a horrible drug addict, you know, like they're, yeah. they're just condemning me for my life, yeah. you know, or my past lifestyle. Uh, but they're not finding fault with the writing. So when I first started getting some of those reviews, I'd be real hurt. And then I'd go back and look at it and I'd think, wait a minute, this person that wrote this customer review, isn't using punctuation correctly and is misspelling these yeah. words that they're using yeah. to defile me. So, so, Hey, wait a minute. Now we're talking about literature, forget it, you know, and, and then I'd move on, you know, uh, but, but when we put art, yeah, when we put art out there and literature is art, it's, it's, it's an art form. So when, when you put art out there, you want it to connect emotionally, right? If you get a reaction, this really strong, even if it's a negative reaction, you know that you've created art mm-hmm. because it touched somebody. Now That's they may right. have been mad as heck, you know, but you touched them. And yeah. then, and then if you have it, so, so that's what literature does. You know, it, it changes when we read a book, it changes us in it and it, we react to it. Like we react to, you know, meeting mm-hmm. someone and you have to ask yourself, why am I writing my book? You know, like if you're writing your book, Ask yourself, why am I writing? Why do I want to write a book? What, what do I want to do with this book? You know, I think that's a real important question for any writer. Mm-hmm. And, and another thing is, you don't have to have it be a book. One way to delay having to answer that question. I mean, you want to get an idea of why you're writing it. But, but you know, you can just tell yourself, well, I'm just writing this story. And that's what my professor, creative writing professor, uh, told me in mm-hmm. school. You know, he said... Uh, he was encouraging me to write a book, and I said, I have no idea how to write a book. And he said, well, you could ju- just write it one story at a time. Yeah. Uh, like you've been doing in class. He said, just, just write all the stories from your life that speak to you. And then 
when you get your, you know, you, you get an editor, the editor can help you to put, put all those together. You know, that's what content editors are for. Yeah. And so you're just writing one story at a time or one aspect at a time. And, uh, and you can figure out a way to do it. Somebody told me, I was talking to someone who was an accomplished writer and a colleague of mine is a, you know, published. And he said to me, well, PhD doesn't make you a good writer. He said, you, you got yeah. He said, you're either a good writer or you're not. What is the definition of a good writer? Is it someone who can write yeah. a good story or, or someone who can I, I, accomplish the objectives that they set for themselves when they began to write? Yeah. Well, I think a little of both, but, uh, you know, there's different styles of writing, right? And and with yeah. me, with a memoir, I wanted the memoir to be written in um, just the way that I would write it, in the style. I tried to write it as if I, the person I was back then, was talking to you then. You know, so they're swearing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of language in there because that's how everybody was talking and that's how in my mind, uh, you know, <laughs> probably, yeah, well, you know, I wanted to kind of create that world. You, yeah, know? you, have, to, you have to make it real. Of yeah. Course. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to create that world because it was a very harsh world. And, uh, but also kind of crazy because the stupidity of some of the criminality was just so stupid. That it, <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. And, and, um, and, uh, uh, I mean, people talk about criminal geniuses and I'm sure there are some, but I mean, there's some, there's a lot of criminal stupidity around here in, in America, you know, yeah, yeah. but, uh, and in, um, fierce, funny and female, I had a lot of, you know, there was a lot of swearing, it was like working in the oil field, these really rough, tough dudes that I was working with out there, uh, you know, real salty language and just real, real crazy. Uh, and one of the beautiful things about being able to use dialogue for me, Mike, I used uh, dialogue conversation, you know, to move the story forward. Uh-huh. A lot of times if, if, if I needed to create a scene and, and explain how something happened, I could use the dialogue yeah, in yeah, that very conversation. And I learned that from reading the classics. You know, I've, I've always been a book reader. I've always read lots and lots of books. I read, I read contemporary literature and I read a lot of classics. I've read all the, all the Russian, you know, like the uh-huh. Tolstoy and Karamazov. And I've read, <laughs> I've read a lot of British literature and some of the French. And I love Stephen King. I, I know a lot of people snoot up their nose to him, but I always thought he was great. A great writer because of the way he could create these. Oh yeah, I can devote an entire episode just to talking about yeah. why we like Stephen <laughs> King. And he he had a, a book on writing too that had some yeah, real good I'm advice writing. in there, mm-hmm. and I would recommend that. But he um, he he has that slice of Americana, but um, but I I've done my memoirs using them like in, in a cinematic way because I lived in L.A. then. And LA's got you know screen screenwriting uh, uh, conventions and writers conventions, all this stuff. So I, I went to a, a couple of those and attended uh, classes with these really you know really uh-huh. competent you know people teaching, yeah. and and you could learn you know you learn about a story you know with the construction. There's a guy named McKee, Robert McKee, and I went to a class with him, and he uh, his book is called Story. You know, and, and it's all about it's for screenwriters, right? Uh-huh. But, but when you read it, 
you can see how, you know, character development and all these different things when they talk about that. So I highly recommend uh, things like that because when you learn a little bit about a, a cinematic kind of scene, action moves the story forward. So the combination, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and, and having that emotional connection where you set the stakes. What are the stakes for this character, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So the audience will care. I mean, isn't that what we do when we read a book? We care. Yes, we do. About- <laughs> if it's a good character, you're going to care. You, even mm-hmm. if it's, you know, a villain, you know, if it's a, yeah. a, a well-written yeah. villain, you're going to care about him. I mean, you're going oh, to want to make sure you want, want him- yeah, you want him to get his. Because the people that that villain does things to in that book, yeah. you see yourself in the people that were done right. evil by it. You know, yeah, right, right. You know, one thing that really helped me as a, as a writer to find your writer's voice. That's what people would say, what is your writer's voice? And when I first started writing, I'd have people that, that would uh, had more education than I did uh, would say to me, well, what, you, you have to find your writer's voice. <laughs> and I, I, um, I think, Oh my gosh, I, I don't even know what my writer's voice is. And, but then when I started writing, uh, and writing the stories, um, I would read them out loud because it would help me to, uh, uh, to uh, you know, I'd be reading them for somebody else. Like, will you listen to this story and tell me if this is interesting, right? And I had a couple of friends that that would hang on the phone and listen. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's how it started, right? And then uh, sometimes I'd read it to my husband. I'd be like, "Can I read you this thing about you know this time with blah blah blah?" Because he and I had history, you know. And he'd go, "Okay, you know." And then I'd read it, and then uh, as I would read out loud, I would find ways to correct it. I'd, I'd find out, uh, there would be typos that I didn't know that I'd had, but because when I was reading it out loud, as opposed to reading it silently, that's another thing where you're engaging another part of your brain. Remember, the speaking part of your brain comes in, and then you're like, okay, wait a minute, that's not the way I talk. Uh, I would say it like this, right? Blah, blah, blah. And then you fix it, right? And so I recommend that for anybody that's a writer, because let me tell you something. I did this for both my books, I'd write it, then I'd read it out loud, then I'd I'd edit, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'd go, you know, over and over, just working on it, but reading out loud, right? So I always thought that was just my little thing I was doing. And years later, after my books were published, I read something by a famous writer, and um, he, was, he was a columnist, and, and he wrote books too. And uh, he was... Uh, he was writing about the writer's voice and he said he had throat cancer and he lost his voice. And so he was writing this piece saying how, um, how for him, uh, I wish it's, oh, it's only fair to remember this guy's name, but you know what? I can't remember the name right now. But anyway, uh, I, I, he, um, he, he was saying how all the famous writers, okay, this is a guy who did have a PhD, obviously. Uh, he listed all these famous novelists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and philosophers who would always read their writing out loud to be able to yeah. uh, improve it, right? Uh-huh. And I thought, there you go. I stumbled across something that's really a thing, like a legitimate thing, right? Uh-huh. Is that cool or what? Yeah, that's so very I'm cool. I'm recommending that to others, you know, because that's a surefire way to get you a different uh, look at, you know, if this. <laughs> and if it doesn't flow freely when you're reading it, 
you know, you, you want to fix that too. Yeah. You know, then, then you can find awkward paragraphs and you can find things in your dialogue. Like, wait a minute, people don't talk like that. You know, <laughs> So basically your, your recommended method is to write, read out loud, edit, repeat. Yeah. But I, I just, um, yeah, and you don't have to get go, uh, you know, hurt, hurt yourself by by doing that several times. You can just go on to the next paragraph, or or you can finish the story and read that out loud, and then go back and fix. Yeah, you know, and then later, you might want to go around it again. I mean, after your editor comes back to you with things, you you read those out loud, you know, and it, it just just always use that as a, as a tool in the toolbox. I think was very very helpful. Yeah, because you know, because it, then the reader. Some of the feedback, uh, you know, that, that I've gotten from um, from readers who have never heard me talk, right, that would say, when I read your book, it was as if you were talking to me. And I've had people who have met me or heard me speak, and they said, you know, I read your book, and then, but you talk just like your book. And, and I said, yeah, yeah, except for the swearing. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, making an emotional connection and then having that, uh, you know, when when I write, I, I always focus on not writing for the world, you know, or writing for some, uh, like writing for people somewhere or whatever. I always write it, uh, think, visualize that I'm writing it to a friend. Uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, heard a that. Friend, actually, I've friend. read that just recently, yeah. actually. That when yeah, you write, oh, good, you, know, you should you know, write is like you're talking to a close friend. Yeah, because that way you you it helps you to move all the hesitation out of the way. I do have one last question, and I think it will be an important one. If there are, are other victims and survivors out there, and I know there are, who are considering writing their story, what is mm-hmm. what what advice do you want to give them to you know to get to get started and get on that train? Well, the same advice that I would give anybody, the same uh, the same um, talking points that I just shared, I uh, my advice to somebody who's a survivor would be be sure that you have uh, support um, if you're going to be writing about difficult material or going over um, traumatic times in your life uh, and describing them. Um, you want to be in close touch with uh, with a therapist, a yeah. therapist, and also to have uh, an emotional, have a support group, a positive support group. You know, have people around you uh, where you can give and receive uh, support. Um, people with similar experiences. You know, you want to have self care be, be yeah. number one while you're doing that kind of thing. And, um, and also, um, you don't have to, you don't have to, to, uh, to write, uh, you don't have to describe things in detail, uh, graphic detail. Um, you don't even have to describe it at all. I mean, you can say something happened to me and then start writing, uh, you know, and describe, how that affected your life. Mm-hmm. You know, there are things like that. So, and just remember that the possibilities are endless. I mean, you can, uh, you can write, um, uh, there's a good, really good uh, book by a survivor, um, 
Holly Austin Smith wrote a book that it's actually a textbook um, uh, that uh, contains um, kind of memoir-like parts of her story in it, right? Uh-huh. Um, and it's called Walking Prey. She's a survivor of child sex trafficking, and um, and her book uh, is, uh, you know, I, my book was out uh, when I read hers. Might have been out for several years, and um, or at least a couple of years. And I thought, oh my gosh, I wish I would have thought of doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, she had, um, but but uh, but um, she had a, a different uh, thing to tell. I really didn't write only about human trafficking. Uh-huh. Um, I was writing about addiction and the things that happen, uh, the trauma that right. accompanies addiction, right. and that cycle and getting trapped in there, and then how to break that cycle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was different, and and um, so it, we we all do what uh, we all end up if we follow our uh, the, the the objective. We we move toward the objective. Mm-hmm. We will find. It's like if you know, and again, two survivors. Uh, if you know why, and this is true for anybody, because we're all survivors, really. I mean, we've all survived things. Uh, that that other people can't imagine, right? Uh, but but to, just to ask yourself why? Um, are you familiar with Victor Frankel, Michael? No, I'm not. Well, he was a psychologist. Um, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and it came out in the 1950s. He was a survivor of Auschwitz. Oh, and he he was a psychiatrist when he went into Auschwitz. Uh-huh. And he had a dissertation public. He had the text, uh, the you know, the whole the manuscript already and everything. Uh, at the time that the Nazis put him in, and he put he, he and his wife were sent to camp. And his he, he tells in the book he he had the manuscript in the in the in the uh, he took it with him in camp to the camp, you know. And it was his most prized uh-huh. possession. And he watched them throw it in in a fire and burn it. Wow. And and he he hung on to his. Psychological, it was his psychological theory. And he hung on to that psychological theory in his, to his thing. He kept going over it to, so he it could retain it in his mind for when he got out of the camp to survive the camp, he could rewrite it. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that kept him alive. That and, and uh, concentrating on the love that he and his wife had between them. Um, and he didn't even know if she was alive. She was on the other wow. side of the wall. But that's um, what he did. So his book, it's a it's a clinical, it's a psycho psychological theory book, right? Um, but it's very 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 powerful. And I read it when I was in school studying to be an addiction professional, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just was so moved by the book because this is a man that had survived, and he talks about it's an existential psychology psychological theory. But um, in there. He was talking about if you know why, you will find the how. I mean, he said it better than that. I'm not quoting him directly. The the idea is mm-hmm. uh, the why is 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 greater than the how. So oh. if if you if you know why you want to survive, uh-huh. you're going to figure out how. And that's cool. what you know. He wanted his he, he wanted to finish his work, <laughs> his psychological, his life's work, and he and he and he and he had the love of his wife. You know, and, and he wanted uh-huh. to see her again. 
Cool. Those and, are some, um, those are some great recommendations. And yeah, yeah. So so those are the ideas. If you know why, you're going to be able to figure out how to write your book. Yeah. <laughs> and I also feel compelled to put out there. You know, we were we were talking about make sure you get help. If at any time during this process, you know, you feel like doing harm to yourself or you just want to end it all, get on that suicide hotline. And I'll even yes. put links to that in the show notes. Uh, just good. so we've got to keep you sane, got to keep you alive. Yeah, we've all got to, we've all got to just keep on because we're needed, you know? Yeah, That's all, another all thing are. I want to yeah. send out to your listeners. Yes, that, that every one of us has uh, value and importance because everyone is unique. And, and the experiences that you have and the things that you learned uh, by living through them, uh -huh. they're unique to you. And so none of the rest of us know what you know. And you have your contribution uh, to the universe. You know, like, uh -huh. don't hold back. You know, just keep on living. Even, even if you feel like you, you don't want to, think about it. We need you. Yeah. You know? You, you have a contribution to make and that no one else can make. Well, Marty, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. I mean, that is just an incredible story and incredible insight into, you know, the darkness in your life and how you turn that into something positive for so many other people. Thank you so very much for being on the show. And we're going to put links to your books in the show notes and uh, hopefully, you know, people will read them. <laughs> That's okay. Either way, thank you, Mike. It's been wonderful being on the show, and uh, you're, a, you're a wonderful interviewer, and, and your questions are very insightful. It's, it's wonderful to have good questions. Well, thank you so much, Marty. Have, yeah. have a wonderful 2021. <laughs> yes, let's both do that. Let's all do that. <laughs> okay, I promised you some phone numbers before we closed out the episode. And these will also be in the show notes. You know, as always, if you have a life-threatening emergency, please dial 911. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And also, if you want more information on mental health in general, you can call 1-877-726-4727. But that is only available 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I think Marty was a fantastic guest, and I really, truly hope that you got something out of that. If you are having some type of problem, a history of abuse or penancy or addictions, read Marty's books. They're humorous, but they really get into the nuts and bolts of it, you know, of what she was feeling inside. So please do that. You'll be glad you did. This is Michael O'Connor, The Clueless Gent. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening.